Welcome back to your therapy tools. Today we're discussing addiction holidays and emotions. I want to go into some great detail on emotions. And of course, I'm working out of the Marsha Linehan book. And I'm also working out of the uh, Lane Peterson workbooks today. So I've compiled some information from these workbooks and I want to just go into more detail on emotion because a lot of people struggle with expressing emotion and identifying emotion. And if we're going to work on emotion regulation, it's important to take a step back and really examine emotion. And we know the basic emotions of anger and fear and sadness and joy but those emotions umbrella a whole range of emotions so with anger we can have frustration annoyance um, impatience with sadness we can feel a little blue we can be devastated we can be bummed out disappointed so I'll go more into that, but first, there's there's a page in Marshall Linehan's book. It's page 212, and it's called Myths About Emotion. So I'm just going to read a few of these, and um, I want you to think, is this true or false, and how could I challenge this thought? So if this is a thought that you have, I want you to kind of just say true or false after I read the myth. And I want you to think of a challenge for that myth. How could you reframe that in a dialectical manner? There is a right way to feel in every situation. Now, we know that's false, right? So how would you challenge that? There is a right way to feel in every situation. So there's no wrong or right way to feel in every situation. Every situation is different. There's different people, different environments, different circumstances, and you may feel a whole range of emotions depending on who you are, what your mood is, what your vulnerability factors are. So there's really no right way to feel in any situation. Um, no right or wrong, I should say. And what about all painful emotions are the result of a bad attitude? Now, this isn't necessarily true, right? Because all painful emotions are not really the result of a bad attitude. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it can be the result of you having a bad attitude. But other times it could be circumstances out of our control. And what about... It is inauthentic to try to change my emotions. It is inauthentic to try to change my emotions. So are you being fake if you're trying to change yourself from being angry to being happy? Does that mean you're a phony? No. No. Let's challenge that. It is hard work and it takes an authentic drive and desire and good DBT tools to change an emotion. 
And that, that might involve accepting the emotion for what it is. So you move from feeling irritated to feeling accepting of the situation. And you use some DBT tools of mindfulness maybe. And you get yourself into a space of accepting that you don't feel good about whatever's happening. And that changes your emotion. Changes it a little bit. So you still have a little disappointment or sadness or, or irritation. But at the same time, you're calm and you accept it. And the emotion changes as a result to something more neutral. Or perhaps even some some way to look at it in a positive light, changing your emotion to something on the continuum of happier content. <coughs> How about this one? Emotions just happen for no reason. Is that true or false? Do your emotions just randomly, spontaneously happen? Remember the locus of control. Is it an external factor that causes emotions to just happen? Or do emotions happen as the result of a situation, your own attitude, your own perception and thought? Remember, I discussed the, uh, the reason emotions and actions happen. They affect each other. It's cause and effect. If... Somebody looks at me wrong, I might have an emotional response. And then my reaction will cause that emotional response to either dissipate or exasperate, right? So emotions don't happen for no reason. There are actions and there are attitudes and beliefs involved in emotions. And then we either reinforce or extinguish. And... How about this one? People should do whatever they feel like doing. <laughs> that one makes me laugh. We all know that's false, right? You shouldn't just do whatever you feel like doing. Maybe on your free day where you have your self-care planned and maybe you have a free day planned where you're not working on DBT tools, you're taking a break from all the self-improvement and you're just going to go with the flow and do whatever feels good that day. That's great. That's great. Sometimes we can do that. But what about if you wake up on Monday morning and you don't feel like going to work? Is it a good idea to not go to work that day? Maybe if you have a lot of paid time off uh, stored up that you haven't used, maybe you could take a self day. But most of us don't have that. So if you want to pay your bills and if you want to feel productive and get out of the house and go do what you're supposed to do, you would go to work anyway, even if you didn't feel like it. Maybe we feel like running naked down the street because we feel free and happy. Is it a good idea? No. And maybe sometimes you feel like punching somebody in the face. Just because you feel like doing it doesn't mean you necessarily should. So... Let's do a quick mindfulness exercise. Let's just take a deep breath in through your nose and hold your breath and out through your mouth. 
and do a little body scan. Where do you feel tension in your body right now? And go ahead and focus on that area where the tension is. My tension right now is in my shoulders. So let's do a little progressive relaxation. And while you do this, just focus on something. If you're driving, focus on the road. (laughs) If you're not driving, just find something in front of you and look at it and focus on it. And I'm focusing on a wooden bowl on my kitchen table that has red and green and purple uh, grapes in it. So I'm going to stare at those colors and I'm going to tighten my shoulders. So whatever area in you that is tense right now, just tighten it up. So I'm pulling my shoulders up to my neck and I'm pushing back with my shoulder blades and I'm pretending like I'm a turtle pulling its head in and I'm just going to take a nice deep inhale through my nose and tense and tense and tense it as much as I can and then when I exhale I'm going to release. (sighs) Oh, that felt good. All right. This looks like a good place to take a quick break, and I'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Okay, so let's jump in a little more with emotion, okay? There are different ways to describe emotions. So under anger, anger has many different variations on the spectrum from low to high. So with anger, we have aggravation, agitation, annoyance, bitterness, frustration, fury, rage, wrath, vengefulness, hostility, grumpiness, irritation, grouchiness, exasperation. Prompting events for feeling anger can include feeling like you're being disrespected or having an important goal of yours thwarted or blocked, feeling like you're losing power or status, not having things turn out the way you want them to. And of course, physical and emotional pain can result in anger because sometimes we use that as a self-defense mechanism. Interpretation of events that prompt feelings of anger. You might believe you have been treated unfairly. You might be blaming somebody. You might be believing that things should be different. Or you might be believing that somebody should be acting a different way. You might have rigid thinking such as, I am always right. You might be judging a situation 
that seems wrong to you. You might be ruminating about something that set you off or offended you. And biological changes that cause experiences of anger could be tight muscles, your teeth clamping together, your hands clenching, feeling your face flush or get hot, wanting to hurt someone, being unable to stop your tears. So these are some of the physical signs of anger. Expressions and actions of anger. Physically or verbally attacking somebody. Making aggressive or threatening gestures such as clapping your hands in somebody's face or shoving your chest up against somebody nose to nose and jutting your chin or swinging like you're going to hit somebody or kicking or throwing an object. Walking out of the room and shutting down is another one. Criticizing and complaining. Frowning. Scrunching up your eyebrows. Crying can also be an expression of anger. Grinning maniacally. Laughing maniacally and grinning at somebody. Some people do that when they become angry. And the after effects of anger. You have less ability to focus and pay attention. You're attending only to the situation that's making you angry, so you're ruminating about it. You're imagining future situations that will also make you angry. And then dissociative experiences, a sense of numbness and depersonalization. So think about the different ways you would describe your anger. So we have the different words for the anger, the prompting event, the way that you interpret it, which will make it worse or better, your physical symptoms of anger, and then the way that you express it, and then how you feel after. This is important to understand when you're filling out a diary card or journaling about an emotion. It helps you to really break it down. And then you can work on changing that behavior, changing that emotion. Disgust words. You're feeling disgusted. So here are a bunch of words that fall under disgust. Aversion. Condescension. Contempt. Dislike. Hate. Loathing. Repugnance. Repulsion revolted, scorn, sickened, spite, and vile. Prompting events for feeling disgust. Seeing or smelling feces from an animal or a human. Having a person or an animal that is dirty, slimy, or unclean coming close to you. Tasting something or being forced to swallow something that you do not want. Seeing or being near a dead body. Touching items worn or owned by a stranger, dead person, or somebody you don't like. Observing or hearing about a person who grovels or who strips another person of their dignity. 
seeing blood or having blood drawn from you, observing or hearing about a person acting with extreme hypocrisy, observing or hearing about betrayal, child abuse, racism, or other types of cruelty, being forced to watch something that deeply violates your own wise mind values, being confronted with someone who is deeply violating your wise mind values, being forced to engage in or watch unwanted sexual contact. And how do you interpret the events that prompt that feeling of disgust? You'll feel uh, morally superior, disapproving. You're judging somebody's body as extremely ugly. You're judging that a person is deeply immoral or has sinned or violated the natural order of the world. You feel extreme disapproval of yourself or your own feelings, thoughts, and behaviors. So you might feel that shame and disgust. You're swallowing something that's toxic for you. Your skin or your mind is contaminated. Your own body or body parts are hideous. Other people are evil and scum of the earth, or they disrespect authority or the city or the group or property. So what happens in our body when we feel disgust? We might feel nauseous. You might have an urge to vomit, gag, or choke. You might have a lump in your throat. You might have an intense urge to destroy or get rid of something. You might feel like you're so unclean you need a shower. You might feel the urge to run or push something or someone away from you. You may feel contaminated, unclean, and dirty. You might feel like you are mentally polluted. Expressions and actions of disgust include vomiting, closing your eyes or looking away, washing, scrubbing, showering, taking a bath, sanitizing, um, pushing or kicking something away and running, stepping over, crowding another person out, using obscenities, screaming, cursing, clenching your fist, frowning, mean and unpleasant facial expressions, speaking with a sarcastic tone, nose and top lip tighten up into almost a smirk, that smirk of disgust. And the after effects of disgust include lack of attention, rumination, and becoming hypersensitive to what you find to be dirty and gross. Envy. Envy includes bitterness, covetous, discontentedness, disgruntled feelings, dissatisfaction, green-eyed jealousy, pettiness, resentfulness, and wishful thinking. Prompting events for envy can include Somebody gets credit for something that you have done. Somebody gets positive recognition for something and you don't. Someone you are competing with is more successful than you. You're around people that have more money, things, respect than you. 
other people get something you really, really wanted and you don't get it. Somebody has something you really want or need and you can't have it. Or maybe you are not part of a certain clique or crowd that you want to be part of. So how do you interpret those feelings of envy? You might think you deserve what other people have. You might think about how unfair it is that you have such a bad life compared to other people. You might feel like you're very unlucky or that you're a failure or you're inferior. You may find yourself comparing yourself to other people. You might start thinking that you are underappreciated. And what happens in our body when we feel envy? We have tight muscles. Our teeth might clamp together with a tight jaw. We might feel our face get hot or flush. Our body may become rigid and stiff. Might have pain in your stomach. You might have an urge to get revenge. You might start hating other people. You might start wanting to hurt people that you feel envy towards. You might want the person that you envy to lose everything they have to bad luck or to being hurt. You might feel unhappy if the other person experiences good luck. You might feel motivated to improve yourself. And then expressing your envy or your actions and behaviors when you feel envy. You do everything you can to get what the other person has. You try to improve yourself in your situation. You might attack and criticize the other person. You might find a way to get revenge on them. You might do something to make the other person fail or lose what they have. You might gossip about the person to try to make them look bad. Or you might avoid them altogether so that you don't have to feel that sense of not having what they have. And then the aftermath of an envy attack. You don't have the ability to really focus. Your attention has narrowed. Um, you tend to only what others have and you only think about what you don't have. You ruminate that other people have more than you. You don't appreciate what you have. And you might make resolutions to change and set a goal to improve yourself and work on yourself. Okay, fear. Underneath fear, we have anxiety, dread, fright, hysteria, jumpiness, panic, a sense of feeling overwhelmed, shock, terror, uneasiness, worry. And what prompts our fear? Sometimes it's silence. Sometimes it's leaving your home or being in a crowd. Sometimes it's being in a pitch black, dark room. Sometimes pursuing your dreams is scary. You might have PTSD, you might have flashbacks, and that will prompt fear. Or you might be in a situation where you've seen other people threatened or hurt. So how do you interpret that fear? You might think you're going to die. 
you might feel like you're going to be hurt, attacked in some way. You might be afraid that you're going to lose something that is very valuable to you. You might feel like somebody's going to reject or criticize or not like you. You might feel like you're going to embarrass yourself. You might be expecting yourself to fail. And you might feel like you are helpless or incompetent. And what happens in your body when you're afraid? You have shallow breathing, faster heartbeat, faster heartbeat a sensation of choking. Your muscles get tense and crampy. Your teeth clench. You might have an urge to scream. You might feel nauseous. You might feel cold. You might feel the hairs all standing up on their ends on your arms and the back of your neck. You might want to run away and avoid whatever it is that causes you to feel fear. And then how do you express and react that react with that fear? So you might find yourself running away. You might hide. You might start talking in a very fearful and nervous manner. You might talk less or become speechless, losing your voice. You might scream or yell. Your eyes are darting around looking for a threat. Or you might have a frozen stare, like a deer in the headlights. You might talk yourself out of doing what you're afraid of. You might cry, shake, sweat. You may even get diarrhea and vomiting. And you'll feel your hair standing up on end. So what is the aftermath of fear? Hard to focus and pay attention. Suddenly you have this heightened sense of hypervigilance. You feel a loss of control. You imagine the possibility of more loss and failure in your life. You might isolate yourself and hide, and you're definitely ruminating. And let's look at happiness. How about a nice positive emotion, huh? This is what we, we strive to change all these negative emotions into. We want to be happy. And happiness has a whole bunch of words underneath it. We have triumph, excitement, zaniness, delight, euphoria, jolliness, bliss, enthusiasm, hope, amusement, pleasure, zest, exhilaration, optimism, ecstasy, pride, elation, glee, and prompting events for happiness include receiving a wonderful surprise or exceeding your own expectations. It's when you get what you want. It's when you're successful at a task. It's when you're using a DBT skill to get your needs met and it actually happens and it works and you're like, wow, progress. It's, it's being in contact with people who love you and support you. It's doing things that 
bring pleasurable sensations like getting a massage, taking a walk, working out, going ice skating, having fun. It's being accepted by other people. It's receiving esteem, respect, and praise and credit for something good that you've done. And how do you interpret that? You interpret it just as it is without adding or subtracting. And how does it feel in your body when you're happy? You feel excited, physically energetic, energetic, (laughs) and active. You might feel your face flush. Or you might feel really calm and relaxed. You might have the urge to keep doing what's working to make you happy. You might have a feeling of being at peace and open. And your your physical expressions can include smiling, having sparkly bright eyes, sharing that feeling with others, being silly, letting your hair down and dancing and singing, hugging people, jumping up and down, saying positive things, being really talkative or talking a lot, and being very enthusiastic. And the after effects of happiness include being respectful and courteous and friendly to other people, doing nice things for other people, being a little more generous, having a high threshold for worry or annoyance, remembering and imagining other times that you have been happy and expecting to feel happy again in the future. Let's talk about being sad. Sadness includes feeling homesick, neglected, alienated, discontent, hurt, rejected, insecure, distraught, disconnected, dejected, lonely, unhappy, gloomy, melancholy, alone, Disappointed, despair, grieving, pain and agony. And what can prompt us to feel sad? Maybe we lose somebody. Maybe we lose them as a friend or maybe they pass away. Maybe things are not what we wanted or expected. Maybe being separated from somebody that we care about. Or getting something that we don't want. Maybe we've been rejected, disapproved of, or completely excluded. Maybe it's a feeling of powerlessness or helplessness in a certain situation. Maybe being with someone else who is sad or in pain causes us to feel sad or feel pain if we're high on the empath scale. Reading or hearing about somebody else's troubles in the world can be sad. Watching the news, reading the newspaper can make us sad. Being alone or feeling isolated can really feed sadness. Thinking about everything you've never gotten in your life that you wish you had can make you sad. Um, Evaluating your life on your birthday And looking back and saying, I have not accomplished all the things I should. Shooting on yourself can make you really sad. Thinking about your losses or just thinking about missing someone 
And your beliefs in sadness can include uh, believing that separation from someone is going to last for a very long time. Believing you'll never get what you want in your life. Seeing your life as hopeless and worthless. Believing that you are worthless and not capable of any kind of improvement. So biological changes when you experience sadness can include feeling very tired, very run down, very low energy. Feeling like nothing, nothing brings joy anymore. Even the things that used to make you happy just are not enticing anymore. You feel empty. Maybe you feel like you cannot stop crying. Maybe you're having difficulty swallowing. You're breathing shallow, shallow instead of nice deep breaths. You're feeling dizzy. You want to sleep all day. So how do we express the sadness? We avoid. We have avoidance behaviors. We act helpless, stay in bed all day, all week. Stop showering and brushing our teeth. We don't bother to clean the house. We walk slow. We mope around. We avoid activities that used to bring us a lot of joy. We give up and we stop trying. We say very sad things. We maybe don't talk at all. We use a quiet, slow, monotonous voice. Our eyes droop and we avoid eye contact. We frown. Your shoulders will be slumped forward. Your posture's terrible. And you might cry, sob, and whimper a lot. And the after effects of feeling sad can include not being able to remember happy stuff. You're focused on sad stuff. You're irritable, you're touchy, you're grouchy, you have a short fuse, and you can explode into anger. You have negative outlook on life. You blame and criticize yourself and everybody else. You might have insomnia, or you might sleep way too much. And then you'll have disturbances in appetite. So either you'll eat way too much because you want comfort food and you're a stress eater, or you'll stop eating altogether. So there are definite changes in diet when you're sad. And let's take another quick break, and then we're going to jump into addiction holidays. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, let's take a nice deep cleansing breath. <sighs> nice, that feels good, right? Just taking a nice deep cleansing breath and saying, okay, universe, let's talk about addiction holiday. <laughs> so let's do a, the quick checklist of addiction. You have difficulty stopping the behavior. You're going to have withdrawal symptoms. You're going to have health issues probably. 
Legal trouble is a possibility. Large doses and excessive engagement in addictive behavior. And keeping a supply or a hidden stash. So you're using this checklist to determine whether you struggle with addictive behaviors. Your attempts to stop the behavior have been unsuccessful. You just keep going right back to it. Um, Your withdrawal can be psychological, physical, or emotional when you're coming off of the behavior. You might have cravings for it. You might be moody. You might have an anger issue coming out. Um, You might have difficult time paying attention and focusing. And you may experience even trembling, seizures, hallucinations, or even have medical emergencies with certain addictive behaviors. Health problems can include, um, depending on your addiction, can include lower immune system, um, damage to your internal organs, damage to your teeth and skin, even damage to your brain. Legal troubles, you know, maybe you've been arrested, you've had a DUI, or you've been in jail for drug charges, or um, even soliciting a prostitute. So legal issues can arise depending on your addiction. And um, you're taking larger doses or engaging in more extreme behaviors uh, within your addiction in order to feel that high. And then you maintain a supply or hide away substances, pornography, food, or whatever items that you're addicted to. You'll hide them in the garage, in the car, maybe at the office, different places in your house so that nobody else can find it. You might need the addictive behavior in order to cope because you're using that unhealthy coping tool rather than engaging in healthy coping tools. You're preoccupied thinking about your addiction all the time. feel like you're missing out if you can't engage in it. You take a lot of risks and put yourself in dangerous situations when you have an addiction. You isolate and you're very secretive. You minimize your denial. You downplay the effects of your addiction to yourself and others. And you might even just completely deny the possibility that what you're doing is even a problem. You may have financial issues because addictions usually cost money. And relationship issues because you're focusing obsessively on your addiction and neglecting your relationships. So if you have an addiction issue and hopefully you're using DBT tools to change your behavior and learn how to express emotion and get your needs met, perhaps you could add the abstinence or addiction holiday. And this is abbreviated down to AH. Ah, a holiday. (laughs) So this means that you set aside a specific period of time in which you do not engage in your addictive behavior. So you want to practice this um, in order to wean yourself off the addiction or keep yourself away from the addiction either way. Um, 
you know, people who are not ready to give it up forever can take breaks. And eventually, after taking those breaks and showing yourself that you are capable of not engaging in your addiction, and you can count how many times you've taken a break and for how long, that's motivation for you to say, you know what, I can drop this all together. I know I can do it. I've proven it to myself time and time again. So that is who this is for. If you're if you're not ready to give up your addiction for all eternity right now, it's just too much of a vice that you feel you need. How about trying taking a holiday and using all your DBT tools in the process to prove to yourself it can be done? And then if you want to go back to it, go ahead. But you might be motivated to continue to see how long you can stay away from it. So here are some examples of addiction holidays. Go 30 days without drinking any alcohol. Turn off all your electronic devices after 5 p.m. for one whole week. Avoid sugar for two full weeks. Go without, uh, go without cutting yourself for a whole weekend. Don't see a harmful friend, a toxic friend. We get addicted to people too, remember. Stay away from that toxic friend for one whole month. Maybe you will attend a concert without drugs and alcohol. Just a one-time deal. Maybe you'll stop smoking weed for one week, two weeks, six months, whatever. Give yourself a timeline there. Maybe you will decide you're not going to use porn for three days. Whatever it is. Give yourself a little timeline and give yourself a lot of praise and a lot of good self-care and reward yourself if you're able to meet whatever goal you've set for your addiction holiday. So you can track how it goes, which is very recommended. Track one week or one month, whatever it is, and you want to Basically, write yourself out a little calendar, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, daily, weekly, monthly. And each day, you're going to rate how difficult it was from 1 to 10. 1 being super easy and 10 being very difficult. And then observe your benefits. What went better for you while you abstained from your addiction during that day? What was, what was a good positive benefit? How did it help you? So tracking that actually helps to build motivation and the confidence that we need to beat an addiction. We start with baby steps and move, move on from there. So we've reviewed emotions in a little more detail and that led us into addiction holidays And during the addiction holidays, when you're tracking the benefits, you want to also journal all of the range of emotions. What emotion did you feel? Where was it in your body? What kind of thoughts did you have related to that emotion? How did you react or respond with that emotion? And what was the aftermath of it? And remember to utilize urge surfing. Remember to utilize stop and opposite action. 
so that you can continue building mastery and building a life that you deem to be worth living because you are absolutely worth it. So thank you for tuning in and we will come back again and discuss more DBT tools. Thank you so much. And remember to always use your therapy tools.